Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and good evening. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Psychic Inside Show. My name is Joelle and I am the Vibrarian and I am here to elevate, enlighten, and empower. I'm here every Tuesday on the Vibrary Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio having conversations with people who have opened up to their psychic gifts and abilities. I'm so honored to be able to bring these people on for interviews because we get to hear a little bit about their journey and possibly help uncover our own inner psychic that's been there all along. Now, you can find us on blogtalkradio.com slash thevibrary. That's T-H-E-V-I-B-E-R-A-R-Y. And also, you can connect with me in the community that I like to call the Good Vibe Tribe on Facebook and Instagram if you follow at the vibrarian, like a librarian, only at a higher frequency. So that's T-H-E-V-I-B-E-R-A-R-I-A-N. Now, I am all about passing on positive information and energy, so if you see something out there that you think needs to be shared, please just tag me, tag Good Vibe Tribe, tag Get Lifted, and I will do my best to pass on this information as far as I can. The replays of these podcasts are available on the Vibrary YouTube channel, so don't worry if you're not able to tune in to the live tonight. This is going to be broadcasting for posterity. You can catch it on iTunes, any of the podcast directories, and then also on YouTube. So, as I said, I believe everyone is psychic. You just may not realize it. And so I have dove, I don't know how the grammar is for that, but I have jumped all the way in to my own journey of, like, uncovering the the psychic inside of myself, and along the way, I am meeting beautiful and amazing people, and it is an absolute joy to me to sit down and have conversations with people from week to week to get to uncover a little bit more about how they came to be where they are and how they do what they do. Tonight is no different. As many of you know, I often talk about Gloria Parker's big psychic fair up in Roswell, Georgia. I talk about it because it's been going on for about 30 years, every first weekend of the month. And you are always guaranteed to go there and find anywhere from 15 to 20 or more psychics of all types, of all modalities, doing their thing, and people are coming through. Everyone who's in the community knows that you can always pop in when you want to check in with spirit. So I've been going up there as a client for, I don't know, many, many years. And then I also started reading up there. So I get to meet my peers, and it's a wonderful and beautiful experience. So a few months ago, I was up at the fair, and this sister who had not been there, I had not seen her before, she walks by with this energy of, regalness of calm serenity and quiet power and I was like hey how are you I introduced myself she introduced herself I think I got a card we exchanged pleasantries and then we sat down to do our work and the thing that I immediately noticed was all of a sudden I hear this sound 
as this sister is like rattling this bag around, right? And you can hear all these objects in the bags tickling around. And then you hear this clatter as all these objects are cast out into uh, what I would say is like a big shell or a bowl. So it's quite uh, a noisy, noisier than what you experience in the quiet conversations of the fair. It drew my attention immediately because I said, oh, wow, she's doing divination. I don't know if she's catching shells, what's going on, but I said, this is really cool. Let me see what this is about. So I began to observe, and one thing I noticed is that there were a few people who were kind of uncomfortable about it, like what they observed. They're like, what's she doing? You know, I don't know anything about that. I'm a little bit scared, you know, what's going on. I thought, well, okay, um, let me help you a little bit and bridge a little gap for you. You know, it's a form of divination, but do you feel like her energy is positive? They're like, oh, yeah, I do. I said, okay, well, that's what your spirit is telling you, that though you may not understand exactly what's going on, you understand that there is some positive energy behind it. So I said all that to say and introduce to you my guest this evening, Imani Breen who is also known as, fittingly, the Empress of Cups. So, Imani, welcome to tonight's show. I'm so glad that you came on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, absolutely. So when I talk about that you had a royal air, like a very regal and calm energy about yourself, you're not an aged person, you're very youthful, but you do have this air about you. And as I got to looking at your website for Empress of Cups, I noticed that mm-hmm. this is not a adopted name that is just part of like your avatar persona. There is some real uh, lineage and uh, connection behind your title as an empress. So if you first would just share a little bit about, like, who you, where you're from, who you're from, who your people are. <laughs> sure, for sure. I get that question a lot. Um, I was born and raised in Florida, Ocala, Florida, to be exact. Um, I was Right. When I was growing up, I always had a close connection with the land. Like, I had all the toys in the world, but I would always play with uh, dirt and rocks and <laughs> draw things in the sand and go pick flowers and things like that. That was a big part of my upbringing, just connecting with the earth. Um, as far as my, my royal or regal nature, I would say it came a lot from my mother, <laughs> but um, also my my father's side of the family as well, who was from Florida. My mother's side of the family is from North Carolina. Um, mm. My mother raised me to be very uh, independent, to have my own mind, to um, beat my own drum, as she would put it. <laughs> um, my father, on the other hand, he taught me how to have respect for my elders, how not to uh, litter, to be ladylike, um, and things like that. Um so I think my upbringing has a lot to do with who I have become. And mm-hmm. from Florida, when I was around the age of 14, I moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where mm-hmm. I um, 
my spiritual journey kind of picked up from there. I became more conscious that I was on a spiritual journey. And I also graduated in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and eventually moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I still reside. Okay. And you have also, like, coming from Florida, you have, like, a, a history of connecting with both Native American energies ancestrally and African or African-American. Is that correct? Most certainly. My um, great-grandmother, who is uh, still living, I think she's about 93 or 94 now, um, when I was in my teens, I had the chance to sit with her a lot and talk about my ancestry on my father's side of the family. And she will always mention um, a Seminole ancestor in particular. Mm -hmm. And she would tell me a lot about uh, us being black Seminoles. And um, basically I didn't realize how much the native American asset was, um, entwined into my my family's way of life until I heard these stories. It was just a a way of living. It was normal to um, see people, like, wash their floors a certain way when the New Year's came in with ammonia and peppermint or to see horseshoes hanging over doors (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and spitting on the broom if someone uh, sweeps your foot (laughs) and things like that. Those Mm -hmm. are just normal superstitions and things that I saw. But after being more exposed to my ancestry and knowing more more about that, I see that we still do the things that we do today because of that. You know? Um, So there's a connection behind a lot of what – we learn to say about, well, throw salt over your shoulder or sweeping or things like that. And I think every culture has some kind of contribution to what we in America kind of understand as superstitious lore. Um, Yes. Because we all at some point reach back to an indigenous people wherever we're from (laughs) at the root of it all. Is the indigenous First Nations first persons. Exactly. So in, um, I'm sorry. Well, I was saying in what you were learning from your grandmother and in your family, was there like a, a psychic kind of uh, practice or a spiritualistic practice that came along with that? Or was it more just like how you were operating as a way of being in terms of those little habits and practices that were passed on? Yeah, it's just it was just more in it than you know somebody. Then yeah, it, it my conversations with my grandmother was didn't come with a practice. Practice. She's basically a, a Baptist Christian, okay. <laughs> but see, in the in the South. You know, uh, even still being a Baptist Christian is 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 mixed and entwined with a lot of um, indigenous ways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember going to um, to church with my stepmother every other Sunday, and um, she was in the Baptist church. You know, the one with the burgundy pews and the burgundy hymn book mm-hmm. and the burgundy Bible mm-hmm. and the burgundy. <laughs> you know, I get my point and. Mm-hmm. Um, there I was first exposed to the Holy Ghost. And oh, I yes. remember okay. 
being, I remember being intrigued by it as a child and wanted to know what happened, what was that, like what's, what's going on? And, you know, everyone was older than me. I was the youngest, and they're just like, oh, don't worry about it. You won't understand. I'm like, no, I want to know <laughs> what is okay. that. Um, and so I guess so I've you're... always had a fascination with um, spirit in a way where you can see it, where it's manifested, where it's presenting itself as a miracle, as a form of healing, and things to that degree. Um even when I'm talking about um, growing up and playing with plants and things like that, I used to imagine that I was making medicine for people. Mm. Um, I remember trying to heal grasshoppers that were getting eaten up by ants (laughs) Mm. (laughs) with aloe Mm -hmm. And I remember I accidentally killed my fish by putting Mm. too much, uh, I put the water was too hot and when the fish passed away, I didn't want to flush it down the toilet. I wanted mm. to plant it in my aloe plant because I felt like oh. it would become a part of that plant. Now, no one told me that. That's just something that I felt to do. Okay. And this is a very young mm. age. You had a natural inclination towards. And so the, at this point now, speaking as an adult, do you recognize that as like a connection to your past self that was coming through because you were young and open to it? Most certainly. And I acknowledge my past self as not just past lifetimes, but as I said, the ancestors. You know, so my how- my. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I think we got cut off there You said your ancestors Hello Yes, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now, yes Okay, uh, we got cut off when you said In connecting to your ancestors So let's talk for a moment about that Because ancestral practices Is a catch-all term that you might you might hear, but not everybody understands and knows what that is. And I have to share with you that as I was preparing for the show, this song, which I am Claire Audient, and my grandfather often sings to me. <laughs> that was one of the first things that helped mm-hmm. me become aware that I was Claire Audient and receiving messages from him was these songs mm-hmm. that he would sing. And they were always songs that he would sing in church. So the song has been been singing to me for the last 45 minutes is Faith of Our Fathers Living Still. (laughs) And so I had to chuckle because I knew that I was going to be having a person who was very connected to ancestral (laughs) energies on the show, and I felt like my grandfather was showing up, <laughs> you know, to say, yes, mm-hmm. you know, the ancestors mm-hmm. are here. So talk for a little bit about, like, how did you bridge from Baptist to encountering uh, ancestral practices? And then I know that you went through, like, a much deeper uh, work in becoming initiated into a practice of ancestral legacy. So how did you first begin then to bring about this connection and what is ancestral practices as you understand it? For sure. Um, Well, 
I want to be clear. I, I've never um, associated myself as a Baptist. Um, I just oh, attended okay. <laughs> Baptist <laughs> yes, church. Yes. Um, however, <laughs> when I was uh, 14, um, me and my family had a share of hardships that led us from Florida to um, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, with some of the challenges that I faced, I um, decided to get into the church. It was a uh, what it, the Disciples of Christ denomination, which okay. is considered a non-denomination, but they call it Disciples of Christ. Now, before yeah. I decided to get to the church at the age of 14, um, I was looking into Haitian voodoo. I want to be clear about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. reading books on Haitian voodoo. But I could not find anything around that, um, any community around that, or anywhere where I could learn those practices. And trying to look up things online is constantly, you know, the Hollywood version of dolls and pets mm-hmm. and all kinds of, you know, craziness, okay? So in any mm-hmm. event, I got into the church at the age of 14. When I got into the church, I became more conscious of my spiritual self, and because okay. my mother did not, my mother did not raise me as a religious person, I had no choice but to study the Bible. I was not raised where I was hearing mm. people preaching all the time and things like that because after a while, um I was no longer going to church with my stepmother at a certain point in my life. So I wasn't raised hearing hearing this, hearing all of this all the time. So I had to actually study. So I had questions. Okay. okay. <laughs> and a mm-hmm. lot of people within within the church were not used to having questions. In mm-hmm. addition to that experience, I also started having a lot of dreams and visions. Um dreams of like being out in the, the galaxy and seeing like uh, like purple haze floating around. I had a lot of doomsday dreams. Um I had dreams of talking to the sun. Uh, I had dreams of being in the pyramids and reading the story of Adam and Eve written in hieroglyphs. I had Mm. all kinds of dreams. And I Mm -hmm. always prayed that God would show me the truth, that God would show me the way, because I always would tell God, look, God, I'm reading this book. I'm in this tradition. I mean, I'm in this, you know, this religion, but I want to be close to you, not to necessarily Mm. a book, not to a pastor, I want you mm-hmm. to guide me on this journey. So I mm-hmm. was having dreams like every night, and I would write down my dreams in journals and note in notebooks. Um, mm-hmm. And I would try to draw out the things that I was seeing in those notebooks that well as well. I didn't watch TV. Um, if I did watch TV, it was it was something around religious. I didn't watch TV just for fun. Um, mm-hmm. I had totally like got into this extreme, like extremism as far as fasting and breaking away from worldly things, what was considered worldly things anyway. Um, over time, my my questions uh, really started to bother uh, certain teachers within my church community, and I just said, okay, well, maybe I've outgrown this particular church. Let me try to go somewhere else. Um so eventually I went to go visit a church and a new church and there was a prophetess there. And, you know, the prophetess is the one that can like, uh, they have psychic abilities too. They can tell you things about mm-hmm. yourself. And and mm-hmm. so um, the prophetess came to me. She said, the Lord speaks to you through your dreams. 
and he's mm. trying to show you something new. You need to pay attention. And I said, right. oh, okay, and I don't lady <laughs> at all. Right. right. And so I decided to fast um, on on water, and I would eat a little crackers here and there because I was in high school. I didn't want to, you know, or anything like that. But during lunchtime, I would go to the library and try to find information to make all of these things I had been seeing over the years more clear to me. So I ended mm-hmm. up uh, finding a book in my school library called The 1001 Myths of the Bible. And oh. I was like, I don't know if I should read this or not. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I should read it. It was, like, so taboo to pick that book up. But I decided to get it. And when I read that book, my dreams that I've been having for all of those years made so much more sense to me because what was being shown to me was that a lot of the things within um, the Bible was borrowed from from different ancient mm-hmm. cultures in the Mesopotamian area from uh, Egypt or Kemet um, in these different areas. So it made sense. Oh, that's why I'm in, in the pyramids reading about Adam and Eve and hieroglyphs, you know. So mm-hmm. I also want to go back to say that I've always felt a close connection with Africa. Because my name is Imani. I always knew that my name was of African origin. So that meant something to me. We when when I was growing up we would have African art festivals where there was music, there was art, there were people in um, in African garments and there was African food. It was a whole experience. And I used to really love Mm -hmm. that. So it's almost like I did a full circle. It's like I had to go through that journey just to come back around so that I could have a better understanding of where I was at and and what I was about to get into. But I just want to say, when I was in the church, no one could tell me that I wasn't going to end up being prophetess Imani Vereen, okay, <laughs> with my purple robe and my gold lace. Okay, I just knew I was going to be in the pulpit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But instead, the universe, the Most High, had a way of bringing me all the way back around into ancient traditions and ways of life that was considered not so good, that was considered Mm -hmm. in some ways ungodly, you know? And it took Mm -hmm. a lot for me to accept my calling and to accept that, okay, my pulpit is not necessarily in the church. I had to see the church as the earth itself that the earth is sacred, Mm. Mm -hmm. that Mm. every day I wake up, I am ministering. Whenever I'm talking to someone, I am in my ministry. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a moment. It's not just a Sunday. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting because I I definitely know of at least one person that will be listening or is listening to the show that has very much rejected uh, because she didn't resonate with traditional church uh, as the institution. And it had been prophesied Mm. over her that she was going to be a prophetess and like a preacher's wife or something like that. And she's like, that is the furthest thing away from who and what I am. They would (laughs) kick me out, you know, that kind of thing. But as you mentioned, like the framing of it is the language, but the operation 
is you're still functioning as a conduit for messages from the divine, whether it's in the church or in a at a psychic fair or in the restaurant or in any other place you might encounter a person who has the opportunity to receive the message that you have the ability to deliver. Exactly. And I also want to mention here the ancestors were still in play during that experience because that was the same church my grandmother went to. And that mm-hmm. was the same church that my that my grandmother's aunt, which would be like my, my what, second or third great aunt went to as mm-hmm. well. Okay. So with the whole sphere, I, I'm still tuning into the frequency of my own personal ancestors. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't get away from <laughs> Right, exactly. You can't get away from that. So in terms of your, uh, I'm sorry. Well, I would say you mentioned that you started at one point. You were reading a whole lot about the Haitian practice of voodoo, and I'm assuming Mm -hmm. then that you were able to uncover the more accurate historical connections to, like African uh, spiritual practices beyond the Hollywood hype of it. Were were you feeling conflict at all, or like what what happened as you led from that pathway then into a broader ancestral uh, connective work? Um, can you help me understand your question? Sorry. Well, I know that like um, you know people see voodoo as this thing that we've seen on the media, but in reality, mm-hmm. voodoo and is like a West African pathway that was brought forward as the African people were moved about the world, both in the slave mm-hmm. trade and in migration, and the mm-hmm. syncretization, which is the process of merging of like a traditional practice with a Christian practice, spread all mm-hmm. over, you know. So in Haiti, Catholicism is very strong because of the mission work and the plantation type of environment that was there. But underneath mm-hmm. the Catholicism is the West African connection to the mother and and all of that. And when you look at, like, when Haitian folks are, are, like, having the spiritual, it doesn't really look different from a Pentecostal church where a person is catching the spirit, (laughs) right? But one is scary Mm -hmm. and one is sanctified. So I was just wondering about your experience of being kind of in the Disciples of Christ type of church environment at the same time that you're also, like, reading everything you can about Haitian food. That's so interesting. So, <laughs> um, yes, when I got into the Disciples of Christ Church, I came, I guess, with a whirlwind because I was catching the spirit at church. And it's like mm. it wasn't really the type of church that caught the spirit like that. They would sit there and mm. be nice. And, 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 you know, if people were catching the spirit, it was like the same people you, you would expect <laughs> to catch the spirit each mm-hmm. Sunday, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but it wasn't really a scene, but something I'm not trying to pump myself up or anything like that, but something about my presence in this particular place it's like the whole youth, the whole youth ministry or the youth that was going going to the, attending in the church started catching the spirit uh praying mm-hmm. fluently, speaking in tongues, 
dancing, coming up with unique ways to worship. You know, it just mm-hmm. really started getting active. And then around the time that I left, the other youth were leaving before I left. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they felt like they weren't getting fed and that their gifts and their abilities were not accepted or the things that they were feeling from God was not accepted within that particular sphere. Um, mm-hmm. But, yes, it is very true. I remember I, I had uh, I was in contact. I had a friend from school, and her um, grandmother recognized herself as a prophetess. She was almost like a, a evangelical prophetess. She would just travel you know, just out of the blue to go meet people that she's seen in her dreams and give them messages and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, she had a she had a close connection with me, and she would take me into a room and pray over me for hours with handkerchiefs and oils. And mm-hmm. she she would even um, you know they call it laying on of hands, but it's more like mm-hmm. Reiki. Mm-hmm. She passed mm-hmm. to me the the warmth of her hands into my hands. And mm-hmm. it's like I was able to. She. It's like she gave me a piece of her gift. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, she mm-hmm. transferred to me that. So when I was in, when I was in the church, like I said, I had been reading about Haitian voodoo. I, I had really kind of wasn't really thinking about it anymore once I got in the church and got baptized and things like that. But it was still very much a part of me because I have this. I'm a medium. I had the ability to channel energies, and naturally they call anything that you're channeling the Holy Spirit. Just generally Mm -hmm. anything that you're channeling in the church is the Holy Spirit. But it could Mm -hmm. be great-grandma. It could be the the pastor that was here before the church, I mean, before the new pastor, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. But um, I, I always felt drawn to the oils and the handkerchiefs and the healing and the miracles. I wanted to see miracles. And it's like now that I'm in these traditions, I see the miracles. <laughs> right. And you mm-hmm. recognize the miracles that you had observed before, like the other youth being activated and catching fire, if you will, from your community and passing on just like passed to you a gift, you're passing on to others around you a piece of that spark connection as well. At what point did you begin to observe your gift as mediumship, which you just used that as a word? Is that only in retrospective? You, you were still seeing it as the Holy Spirit moving for a time period? Oh, I, uh, when I was coming out um, of that particular religion, Christianity, I was, uh, I was heartbroken (laughs) because everything Mm -hmm. that I had built my life on and believed just kind of shattered. And I was just, what, 17, 18 at that point. I'm not even out Mm -hmm. in the world. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd, um, around that time I started channeling a lot and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand because it didn't feel the same. It felt more forceful. It felt like I was just open and I couldn't close myself back up. So Mm. around that time period, I started having panic attacks so bad that I didn't want to leave the house. 
I, you know, I couldn't even, I wanted to go apply for college. I remember walking through the door and just walking right back out. I couldn't be in environments where there were a lot of people because it's like I could hear everybody's thoughts. Mm, I could hear okay. everything that was going on with people. I could feel their energy before they walked by me. And it was almost like mm-hmm. a, a paranoia feeling because you can sense what someone has going on spiritually. And sometimes mm-hmm. when we walk past people, it's like your auras collide. <laughs> so I right. didn't know how to protect myself. I didn't know how to ground myself. I was just open for no reason. And no, and there was no one there to understand what I was going through, mm. you know. Um, so, so did you I, encounter then a key? Okay, did you then encounter a key teacher at that point uh, to begin to work I with you to. after moving? I had to because I tried um, going to the psychologist because I just really thought I was going crazy at one point. And <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like using the, the prescription medication. It, it made me feel like a zombie or something, and I stopped using mm-hmm. that. Um, eventually, I got into – first, I got into the Moore Science Temple. And see, okay. instead of North Carolina, it's not, a, it's not a lot of awakened people. So I'm just using what I have, okay? <laughs> right, right. So right. on the corner, on the corner of my block was the Moore Science Temple of the World, okay? That's what they mm-hmm, call it. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I would go there and get um, lectures: Bobby Hammett, uh, Phil mm-hmm. Valentine, um, you know, all of the all of the greats, right? So I'm getting, you know, mm-hmm. lectures from them and books, and now I feel like I have somebody that can I can relate to. But that came right. with a whole a whole thing, and I didn't want to be involved with that community anymore because the women were cliquish and they didn't like me, et cetera. So I ended up leaving that alone. Um, mm-hmm. Then I got into um, committed science through mm-hmm. a teacher called Harry Kafra, and at the time he was in Brooklyn, New York. So I would get um, – he would teach class um, – via video on a computer and we would do a uh, certain meditations and things like that. That was very good for me. That was very good for me. It helped me to learn how to center myself and ground myself. Um, it helped me to understand the experiences that I w- was having. We did some past life regressions as well that helped me to have mm-hmm. a better understanding of myself. Um, it was all really when I started my journey of consciousness, it was about myself. It wasn't about trying Mm -hmm. to connect with something outside of me. It was about knowing myself more and being able to harness my abilities enough to make it useful. Um, But first I had Mm -hmm. to do that for myself. I had to heal myself before I could heal anyone else. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I was going to have panic disorder what they call panic disorder, I was channeling. Now I know that. But um, I thought I was going to have panic disorder, like, for the rest of my life. I thought it would never end. But through meditation mm-hmm. and um, getting into herbalism, changing my diet, you know, putting myself around like minds, I was able to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what so you from speak of I'm sorry. Well, I'll say what you speak of is very common in what I've heard and just the interviews that I've talked about that, um, you know, what do you do when you feel like you're you're literally losing your mind 
or your ability to live the life that you used to live because you're having an alternative experience. That can be very isolating, which is one reason why I'm so glad when people come on to share their stories because you can hear a person who says they were hearing voices and having panic attacks and they can feel other people's energy and they're like, I thought I was just imagining that, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, no, that is, you know, what happens when you don't have an answer and then you're able to find the answers. And sometimes those answers defy conventional wisdom or conventional treatment methods, you know. Uh, And so I'm glad that you're sharing this. Most certainly. Yeah, I have a... I like to, I naturally draw people that have these types of experiences. They're having anxiety. Sometimes it's trigger. Oh, I smoked some weed. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now I'm having these panic attacks. I'm like, oh, it just opened you up. And they're like, no, you don't understand. I need to go to the, I'm like, no, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. <laughs> I've been you. There is hope. <laughs> right. And I'm sure the comedic science and the Moorish, you know, teachings had to really touch that part of you that was connected to Egypt and Africa in a very kind of edifying way. It probably fed your soul at a deep level, I would expect. Oh, yes. Yeah, I still hadn't grounded myself. I was still in the stars. So <laughs> getting into mm-hmm. those things, I was I was embodying my 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 empress energy. I was totally, you couldn't tell me nothing. I hadn't built my character yet because I was already in a rebellious state and I knew something that other people didn't know, you know, so there was a bit of a uppityness about it and, like, I would dress um, with my head around almost like a, a pharaoh and I would have copper all over the place and mm-hmm. shell earrings and, oh, I was doing it. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> I was proud of myself. I was proud of my heritage. You are right about that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you were saying from after the kinetic, kinetic teaching era, you transitioned to your next phase. So what, what did that entail? Yes, that entailed me now... Somewhere in between there, I I always wanted to get into. I had kind of got back into the interest of Haitian voodoo and um, and Orisha worship down down in there somewhere, but I couldn't find a community again to connect to, so I was just finding my way, okay? So then from the committed school of thought, I started dating someone that was a Nuwapian, and Nuwapu okay. is basically a school of thought that was taught uh, by a teacher called Dr. Malachi York. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get a lot of information from that particular school of thought, but I was not able to connect with that community in a certain way because it came with other frames of thought around the teacher that I couldn't really adopt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I right. took what information I could from that um, and from the Nuwapian school of thought, I found a, a a spiritual house, as they would put it, that was based on Orisha. And um, 
I'm not going to shout them out on here, but basically they they were dealing with Orisha and also some Vodun. So basically they had different types of priests within their community that could that were supposed to be able to assist you with any of those um, ancestral uh, practices, whether it was Palo, there was a Tata there, there was a um, uh, Hugan there, there, you know, there was different types of priests within that particular community. But again, when you're getting yourself into a spiritual community, you have to make sure that your personalities are compatible with one another. So there was a lot right. of personality clashing and things like that, that that didn't allow me to stay within that particular spiritual house. Um, mm-hmm. But now I found a new spiritual home, which has uh, been very great for me. So that adverse experience kind of put me in a moment of isolation and kind of doing my solitary, you know, mm-hmm. spiritualist thing. Um, but now I've kind of gotten myself into a atmosphere where I am much more comfortable, able to learn and grow and have more resources um, in which basically it started happening again as far as me channeling and not being able to control it. Um, I was working in corporate and basically channeling at work to where I was kind of like blacking out. And when I come back, people are looking at me strange and I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so I called right. and I was like, look, I don't know what's happening to me, but I need to come and get a read. I need to find out what's going on. She was like, I told you what's going on. You need to come and get initiated into Apollo. <laughs> I was like, okay. okay. So this is where I decided to get initiated into Apollo in um, 2019, February 2019. So I'm still learning this particular uh, practice, but still is very much a part of my life. And now that I'm in this sacred secret and sacred society, I realize how much it was just a part of me in the first place. But now I have a deeper Mm -hmm. understanding of the mysteries or the technology behind it, if that makes sense. It Um, does. Now, for those of us, who, those who are listening who are not familiar with terms when you say like the Orisha or Vodou, could you give, you know, like what is Orisha worship? <laughs> sure. So Orishas are the uh, gods and goddesses that are recognized in Nigeria through a group of people called the Yoruba. Mm-hmm. Um the Orishas are basically nature deities. So they are, uh, there's an Orisha for almost every aspect of nature. For the ocean, there's Yamaya. For the river, there's Oshun. For uh, the forest, there's uh, Ogun or sometimes even Osain. Um, for fire, there is Shango. So there's different... Uh, Orishas for every element within nature. You can also find Orisha practices within the diaspora because of slavery. So Mm -hmm. um, Orisha practices are also in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, in Brazil, um, Mm -hmm. in the Dominica. You know, it's all over the place. Um, As far as 
voodoo, as far as Haitian voodoo, that is a very Congolese-rooted practice. Um, and in that particular uh, practice, their gods are called the Loa, which is kind of the same thing. Um, I'm not going to say this. It's, it's different energies within respect of the Loas and the, in the, in the Orishas, but they they are also connected to nature and elements as well. The same thing with Palo. Palo would be the same thing instead of the Loa or the Orisha we have in Kisi or in Pungo um, that okay. operate in the same fashion. And Palo comes from them, say, you mentioned Nigeria and Congo. Where does it trace back to? Uh, it goes back to Congo. Okay. It's a deep Congo practice, yes, ma'am. And, like, Ifa is also, like, uh, some of the words are kind of used. It's just a linguistic difference, I think. But others, it's like a different practice with this very, like, cousins <laughs> I guess would be yeah, kind Ifa of also, Yeah, Ifa is more of the African version, or it's also called Isheshe. Respect, respectfully, um, Isheshe, um, mm-hmm. that is more of the African way of honoring the Orisha and utilizing the Orisha energies. Whereas Lukumi and Santeria would be the diaspora way of also connecting to those same forces, or in Brazil, Candomblé. Candomblé, yeah. That's the whole uh, diaspora spread of things, and then it growing. It's it's like coming from Africa, but by the time you're in Brazil or Dominica, you're different in terms of uh, your whole makeup because you've migrated. So just as different as a Brazilian is from an African today, the religion is also different and yet it is connective because that ancestral cord reaches back to infinite times. And even with the Native Americans, you know, uh, that we would connect with either in the Mayan traditions and the Hopi, the um, what you talk about, the Muscogee Indians, it is very much a, you know, a respecting of the divine spirit in all things. So the right. rain, the moon, the sun, uh, all of that would have an embodiment of the divine spark, and you could work with that energy in whatever capacity you really right. need or want to as, as your culture kind of teaches you. This is very true. God is truly omnipresent in these traditions. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, now, yeah, um, um, well, I was saying in terms of then entering, it's very interesting because you talk about how you came into community and out of community. That's like over and over again. You've talked about three or four cycles of finding a community mm-hmm. that you were able to grow in. And then leaving that community, sometimes painfully and sometimes not. And I think that's very important because mm-hmm. you've said a couple times, you know, it wasn't resonating, right? And one thing we hear all the mm-hmm. time is take what resonates and leave mm-hmm. what doesn't. And a lot of people mm-hmm. come to a spiritual crisis when they're like in a Christian faith practice 
or at a particular church or group and they begin to feel constricted in their energy. They may not know why, but they begin to fall out of community. Well, that is an energy inside of you telling you this no longer fits. And people have to know that that is okay. And I'm sure you will come in and out of community many, many more times in your journey in this incarnation because you're do, you've been doing that over and over again cyclically, and it's always been to your growth and continuity as you're sharing your story. This is very true. This is very true. I've accepted that I'm a traveler, and I'm just getting my jewels and my tools. And you, yeah. you know, I was that before the show today. I was like, oh, let me. I'm going to be talking about my journey. Let me think a little bit. Let me reflect a little bit about my journey. And I'm like, well, where did my journey start? And I was like, hmm, let me think about my parents. My parents met in Georgia, but my mother's from North Carolina and my dad is from Florida, okay? Mm-hmm. I was conceived in North Carolina. While my mother was pregnant with me, she moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. So even in my mother's womb, or <laughs> I've always kind of been traveling. I've been in and out. I wasn't born in Ocala, Florida. I was born in Gainesville, Florida, and raised in Ocala, Florida. So it's always been an in and out type of thing for me, mm-hmm. even before I truly incarnate. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and, you know, North Carolina and Florida, in terms of even preservation of some African-connected traditions, you know, we see in the coastal regions and, like, even the Seminole, which we know that means semi, you know the thing, semi-black, uh, basically, <laughs> genetically. Right. Uh, so you came from a very strongly rooted places culturally as well. Very, very much so. I remember um, moving away from... Um, the main area of Ocala where I was raised in and moving to an area called uh, Silver Spring Shores. And we lived in this, it was a nice house, but this house had some energy going on. Come to find out the house was actually like on an old Indian reservation. So there mm. I started having all these experiences with hearing this because I've always Afraid. It was just so much energy going on that I didn't understand at a young age. But um, in the Silver Springs, I went to a pretty uh, decent school uh, where it was very diverse. So my grandmother would call me on the phone. And I remember one time she asked me, "Where's your mother?" I said, "She's gone." She said, "She's what?" I said, "She's gone. Mm-hmm. She's gone." So it was like. Mm-hmm. It's like don't you with the family. It's like you can't try to bring that proper stuff to the family because the way that we spoke was still a form of preserving our ancestral heritage. Because a lot of the Seminole that you will see or meet in Florida, as far as Black Seminoles, are also associated with the Geechee or the Gullah people. Mm-hmm. So they had a way of speaking. Even now my father doesn't like how I talk to him sometimes. He wants me to put it all to the side and just, you know, bring out the raw and the real. And, you know, sometimes when I go to Florida, I I come back, I have to try to regroup because (laughs) all of this was important for us, even to the way that you spoke with your family. It had to go back to the roots. 
Mm. Now, we do have a couple callers who have kind of indicated that they want to ask a question. I do want to let everybody know we're not doing on-air readings tonight with the interview. This is just a conversation with Imani Vereen. So I'm going to check in to see because a couple people have been holding for several minutes now, and I didn't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation at that time. But we have caller with the left. Four eight seven six one. You're on the Psychic Inside Show. Did you have a question about Amani's journey so far? Yes. How y'all doing tonight? So there's Cleveland. Um, okay. Um, I had a question about your. Uh, so how did you? Uh, could you? Uh, could you uh, elaborate on? Uh, I know you see a shamanic killer. What's your journey? I don't know if you spoke on that before I got on the line, but as far as being a shamanic healer and, and how what um did you have to go to mm-hmm. how did you say I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Um my sh- the shamanic part of my journey came in uh when basically when I got my ancestor altar set up. Um it, it came into me acknowledging that I was really a medium, which basically that's all the shaman is, is, is a medium that is able to travel, that's able to pick up certain uh, information from different realms. Um, I remember before I formally had an ancestor altar set up, I would walk in my apartment by myself, almost preaching by myself as if I had a congregation that was listening. Because I was channeling the energy of my ancestors, that that alone is a form of shamanism. Uh, I also ended up getting instruments like a drum and a rattle and things like that that would assist me with getting into transit meditation, to get into getting into a transit state. And within that transit state, I can uh, alter myself so much where I can become a different personality or maybe very animal-like. Um, even as far I love to dance, I love to dance because it's very transit for me. So applying these different skills is all shamanic, you know, and and it assists you with tuning in. Sometimes um, I'm tuning into the astral realm and getting in, in tune with my extraterrestrial spirits. Sometimes I am going back in time and grabbing information. Um, and I would say really and truly my shamanic path actually probably started with the committed science because a lot of that being able to sit and meditate and visualize and use certain, uh, elements was a, is a part of that whole practice, shamanic practice. Did you have any oh, follow-up okay. question? I'm going to have to put you back on the, the uh, listening line after the call because I'm getting a little feedback here. But did you have a follow-up? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, as far as grounding, I know uh, going on in nature is a good way of grounding. Um, what's another way of uh, just meditating every day? It's a good way of grounding because I, I know I need grounding a lot. So, especially for this year, so. 
for sure. Yeah, meditation is definitely a good way to ground, but sometimes it, it can be hard because meditation can make people feel more flighty than grounded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it depends sometimes on how well, well, how skilled you are with meditation itself. Um, and, you know, sometimes people represent, I mean, sometimes people say, well, use crystals, but some people are so sensitive to crystals that the crystals don't ground them. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that I really and truly believe in is spiritual hygiene, being mm-hmm. being aware of your energy, of how you're feeling, and recognizing when it is time to cleanse away and purge certain things from you because sometimes we pick up things when we're out and about that's not of us. So it leaves us feeling very flighty and confused and it leaves our um, – our uh, spiritual connection being is is almost like your spiritual connection is continuously chattering, and it's not always coming from your spiritual guardian. So a good way to do that is to um, keep yourself spiritually cleansed. Also, pay attention to the things that you're eating. If you're if you're wanting to ground yourself, eat root vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you're if you don't have a you know, if you're not a vegan or vegetarian or things like that, sometimes eating meats can be helpful, but sometimes it cannot be because if you're an empath and you're eating animals, you can start to feel their pain and their anxiety, et cetera. So really and truly mm-hmm. it's about you trying different things and figuring out what works for you. I will also say pay attention to the colors that you wear. If you wear a lot of black mm-hmm. or, you know, dark colors that draw in energy, that is something you need to pay attention to. Some people cannot wear red because red makes them feel irritated and tempered and things like that. So pay attention to the the things that you choose for yourself as far as what you eat and what you surround yourself with so that you can determine whether it's beneficial to you or not and how it makes you feel. And you know what I would add to that, that we have lost the practice of being barefoot outdoors. You know, I was talking mm-hmm. with a group of people, and they were like, ooh, touch the ground with my feet. And I was like, wait a second. How have we shifted our energy so much that we cannot feel comfortable or clean going out and finding a patch of grass and putting our feet mm-hmm. on it and feeling or putting in dirt or putting our hands in dirt or touching a tree. We've gotten to the point where touching nature has become unnatural to us, and I think that that's very <laughs> sad and it's purposeful, right? So putting your back mm-hmm. against a tree and leaning yes. and connecting and feeling the rootedness of the earth and the soil on your body mm-hmm. or your feet, if at all possible, that is ground, <laughs> you know. Uh, definitely advise people. You told me to go touch a tree. <laughs> to find a tree. To, right. I'm one of those air signs, you know, that gets flitty flatty sometimes. And you were like, you need to go find a tree in terms of to work with regularly to ground down some energy within yourself and to connect with the ancestors, you know. So thank you for asking your question. I'm sorry I couldn't keep you on to listen. I was just getting a little bit of feedback. Uh, we do have another caller who has been uh, raised their hand, caller with the 8292. You're on the Psychic Insights. So did you have a question for Imani this evening? 
I'm not doing readings this evening. We're just having an interview, but I will be providing information later on how you can connect with Imani to have readings or services from her. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so as you were sharing before, you started, at what point did you start providing services to other people. Like when uh, I know you said that you've been in an initiative and, and a studious kind of place of really edifying yourself with a deep, intensive uh, practice of learning. But at some point I know that you started doing readings and stuff for people. So how did that emerge? Um, doing readings and work for people started um, – when I was probably about 19 and I was going to school here in Atlanta. And when I was in a dormitory, I would do card reading for people, crystal therapy. I would even make my own tea bags and, you know, make teas for other people. And um, I went to, I went to a school where it was mostly really with all girls that live in the dorms period. So Mm -hmm. I had a chance to, help a lot of women, young women with their issues. And that's always kind of been a thing for me where I've been able to uh, uplift other women and make them feel more confident, make them feel more sure and certain, give them hope and inspiration and things like that. So I would say it was around that period that I started doing work for people and not getting paid for it, just doing it because I purely enjoyed it. And because Mm -hmm. I, I empathize with them, you know. Mhm. And that's the key you mentioned earlier. You're like, I wasn't trying to go do for other people. I was trying to heal myself and to uncover exactly. who I was and find my peace in the world. It wasn't even about other people, uh, and that's like <laughs> super important. And that people don't realize is that that kind of each one teach one is that we all have an opportunity to observe people <coughs> excuse me, around us at all times, operating some successfully by our critique and some unsuccessfully by our critique. So we're learning observational lessons all the time, right? And when people are learning from you, whether you sit down to give them a reading or not, when they watched you like walk into a room with a calm and royal energy of absolutely feeling confident in the skin that you were in, that was a learning for somebody who might not have ever seen it embodied like that before. So it doesn't have to be like I'm sitting in front of a room of people and I'm teaching hundreds of thousands of people now my method it can be really that simple, <laughs> you know. Very Everybody's somebody's yes. student or teacher <laughs> along the way. I think it cut out. Most certain. Sorry. Now, do you, do you teach classes now uh, as part of the services that you provide? And if so, what is the subject matter that you are teaching on? Um, I was, I, I had it a part of my agenda to create a curriculum for 2020 because so many people ask me about classes. 
Um, but then I noticed that so many people, if I were to do it in a group setting, all these people are coming on so many different levels and with different interests and things like that. So I'm currently not doing group sessions, but I'm doing um, private spiritual advisory where you can set time to speak with me. We could talk about um, your journey, uh, what results you want. Um, I can uh, teach you things as far as, you know, astrology, things about um, ancestral practices. Um, I can help you get your spiritual spaces set up um, and just kind of help you to put things in perspective. Basically, spirituality needs to become practical, and that can be very hard for people to do um, when they're first starting off. So I just want to, I kind of help people to make things realistic and and put things in perspective for themselves and figure out Mm -hmm. what their own unique formula is. And the only way that I can really do that is spending that one-on-one time with each of the people that want to learn from me. Um, However, as I continue to um, teach and have these one-on-one sessions, I do want to get group sessions together eventually once I kind of get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, so right now I'm doing that is, session. <laughs> and you actually do quite a bit with uh, womb healing work and issues that are very uh, important to women in terms of healing themselves and their sexuality. That's kind of an area that you have branched out very specifically with your, um, is it the Institute of Divine, wait, I don't, I didn't get the name right. <laughs> what is it's your, the Institute uh, of Divine Traditional Arts. Yes. The Institute you. of Divine Traditional Arts. Um, yes, I, um, I'm wanting to bring more women together to learn, um, to kind of have a, an exchange of, of feminine energy and helping us to get into our divine feminine. I wanted to do more uh, red tents and events like that to kind of give women a safe space to express themselves so that we can talk about women things and you don't have to be in the salon and engaging in gossip and things like that in order to uh, express the things that you need to express and get the advice that you need. There's all I want there to be a sacred space that is in honor of the divine feminine for women, where we can also learn a sacred skills that is related to sacred womanhood, uh, whether that's midwifery, uh, weaving, uh, learning how to make bread from scratch, whatever it may be. Uh, mm-hmm. All of these different things had a had a significance, and I. I learned this through really through Kemet um, and seeing how they had a priesthood set up for every skill that was in the community. Mm. So a woman mm-hmm. that was a weaver was probably a priest of Neas. A woman that was a, a midwife was a priest of Meshkinet. You know, so taking our skills and making it sacred and realizing how it is of use to ourselves, our immediate um, in our immediate community. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very, very interesting, the connective thread that kind of goes through everything, right? Um, <laughs> and I also wanted to circle back to where we first started when 
I talk about hearing you do a reading for someone. You were shaking a bag of objects and throwing it into a container. So uh, you are you say that you're a bone reader, and I've heard people call different things. But that way of divining and connecting with information, how did you come to do that? And can you share a little bit about it? Because it does tend to be a little frightening, quite frankly, for some people who are like, what kind of bones are they? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> right. can you share about that? Right, sure. Um, so bone readings are is basically a form of divination that you can find um, in Africa, like with the Sangomas of South uh, Africa. You can also find it in Native American traditions, um, really throughout all of America. But particularly, you can also find it in traditional um, hoodoo conjure uh, divination methods. Bones are basically remains of animals, but also my bone collection is also remains of things that I've kind of had around my house, whether it's an old penny, an old key that I no longer use, you know, things like that, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where I'm able to take those different elements and cast them on my turtle shell and tell what (laughs) is going on in in a person's life. And I have it where I can tell you what's going on in your life as far as the physical or material aspects of your life, your your mind, your emotions, mm-hmm. and your spirit. And, and did you learn the this type of with your... that I have in there? <laughs> well, I was wondering, did you learn this on your own? Was it something that spirit and you work out as a system and then you had, like, more formal instruction? Or, or how does this arise? Um, something that I learned on my own. It's something mm-hmm. that I saw myself doing years ago. Um, that my um, one of my African guides um, showed me some years ago, and I decided to do. And I was told specifically that I needed to cast my uh, trinkets and my shells and bones on a turtle shell. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people use baskets. Uh, or they use uh, animal skin to cast on, but for me, it is a turtle shell. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It was like uh, when I encountered like a shell divination and things. I think the first time I had a reading was, uh, uh, well, he looks white, but I think he was part Native American. But he was doing uh, a reading, and he had little like wolf. A wolf skull and like you could see it was like animals from nature bones and shards and stuff and he had like a leather vest on that was like tanned hide so he was very much more of like a Native American kind of uh, divination with the objects that he had there were weathered sticks and uh, you know joints of bones and things of that nature Um, and then I've been with Somebody who had shells, like cowrie shells, and then in your case, you had all kinds of things. So, you know, I think that that's cool that it's something that your guidance was given directly to you and you honored and trusted that instead of saying, well, that's not right. Why would I use this? The book says that you have to use so-and-so. 
you know, you really did like have a relationship with yourself, your higher self and your higher aspects that worked through that with you. That's very important, I think, for people to know. Yeah. This is very true. It took uh, some time for me to get to the point where I could trust my intuition, particularly when it was dealing with other people. But mm-hmm. once I started doing it, it was like, oh, this easy peasy. This is what I do. This is my gift. Like, <laughs> you know, the first time I did a show reading for myself and for other people, it's just like, oh, okay, well, hey, hey. <laughs> right. You get, to the point, you get to the point, too, it's not about your ego. It's not about you. It's about you being in the, in the position to channel the energy. And the reading bones, naturally bones are connected to deceased things. So this Mm -hmm. is also another way of connecting to the deceased, the ancestors. A lot of times people's ancestors present themselves in a reading, and I'm able to tell them, oh, you know, I would probably ask a lot of times, is your mother still with you? Does she look like this? Does she say this all Mm -hmm. the time? Well, Mm -hmm. she wants to tell you this. You know, right. um, so right. it comes with being in a place where it's not you questioning. It's not about you. You have to surrender to the flow. Oh, that is so true. It's it's a big <laughs> trust exercise, right? But this is really what we yes. came to do is to, in my belief anyway, is that we came to remember who we uh, we are and all that we are. And um, when you begin to step away from the clothes that don't fit, you have to trust that there's going to be something that fits better after you've shed that old uh, whatever it was that wasn't working for you, you know. And to be as young as you are and to be as far as you are in terms of that journey of yourself, I think is very admirable, you know. Thank you, Joel. I've decided that um, I'm no longer wearing clothes. <laughs> and if I'm shedding anything, it's just old skin. That's it's just right. old skin. If I'm shedding anything, because I'm not wearing shoes, I'm not wearing clothes, I'm just being myself. Mm-hmm. And really and truly, that's the best way to connect. When you can keep it raw and stop trying mm-hmm. to look for some shoes that's going to fit you and a pair of pants that's going to fit you, you know, mm-hmm. or if you or if you're going to do that, put your own pieces together and make your own outfit. Don't go to the store and look for your outfit. Don't look at what's already available in the boxes that they have available for you to fit into. Create your own. Right. You can weave yourself something, right? Or sew yourself or, you know, put yourself together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation, and I've been looking forward (laughs) to it for quite some time. And I will say to all of our listeners, I had a reading with Imani at the Psychic Fair last month. I had an opportunity to sit across from her at the table and it was a wonderfully affirming and, I mean, just I felt the movement of the spirit energy as she was speaking, and everything was true. <laughs> everything that came out, I was, and it was exactly affirming what I needed to hear at the time. And, I mean, it was just very clear. And so I could say that I 
through my personal experience, uh, I definitely can see your spirit connectedness and your high vibration. So uh, I mean, I'm still smiling. I wish I would have recorded it because it was so <laughs> perfect. It was so great at the moment. But uh, for people who want to contact you for their own readings, what is the best way that they can find you online and in connectedness? For sure. Um, I'm open to receiving phone calls at my phone number, 404-312-8024, where you can just give me a call or text me, and we can find out the best time to arrange your appointment. Also, you can email me at eofcups at gmail.com, and I can respond that way so that we can get your session arranged. Yes, and then uh, you're often at the Blue Barn the first of the month at Gloria Parker's Big Psychic Fair, Um, and usually you announce if you're going to be there, right? I think you wind up sharing uh, her flyer on your pages if you're going to be at the event. Yes, I do. Okay, and I'm also very, very excited to share that uh, for those of you who are in the Atlanta area, um, having an event this Sunday, the Vibrary Elevation Station, which is a pop-up metaphysical fair, um, and we're happening in Jonesboro, Georgia, which is to the south of downtown Atlanta. It's Sunday from 11 to 6, and Imani is one of the featured readers who is available for appointments during the fair. So you can book directly on her calendar um, through the Vibrarian Instagram and Facebook page. And, of course, that's just if you want a pre-scheduled reading, but you're always welcome to walk in and fill out any slots. If you have any available, you've had a pretty steady stream of people at Gloria's. Uh, you, you know, you got to get in where you fit in with you. But we would absolutely love to see you out with the Good Vibe Tribe. And I'm so excited that you are going to be participating. It's just perfectly aligned, and I can't stop smiling about it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm cheesing too. <laughs> Very exciting. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, for everyone who's tuned in this evening, I thank you for your time sharing and exchanging energy with us. I've been having an awesome conversation with Imani Vareen, the Empress of Cups. Uh, Please do connect with her. For those of you who are listening to this on YouTube after the show, look down in the description box because I'm going to be placing links to her website, her phone number, and email for those people who are catching us on the replay so that you too will be able to connect with her in the future. Did you have any last-minute words of wisdom, advice, or otherwise for our listeners this evening before we close out, Imani? No, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. I'm so honored and I'm looking forward to a great weekend with you all and I hope to see some some of your lovely faces there. Thank you so much again. Awesome. Well, to each of you, 
Please tune in next week on the Psychic Inside Show. I'm going to have another great lineup for you, another awesome individual who stepped into their power and come through a journey that is as unique as they are. I'm here on Blog Talk, and our phone number is 646-787-8436. You can always dial it to hear any show that's on. I am on Thursdays with the Vibrarian Show. We talk about some of everything from conspiracies and metaphysical updates, astrology, and pretty much anything that I find interesting and other people who like to tune in and talk with me about those things. So this Thursday I'm going to have a variety of people popping in who will be participating in the metaphysical fair this weekend. We're going to get an update on the energies that we're currently in since we just came out of the eclipse, the lunar eclipse, closing out this first uh, parody eclipse of January 2020 and talk about what that might have been doing in your world and pretty much anything else that you want to talk about. So the phone lines will be open for your calls. To each of you, I wish for you a week that is filled with all of the blessings that you can possibly hold and that those blessings spill out of your arms to bless the world around you. The light in me absolutely honors the light in you. Namaste.